Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on the names of God, and we come to an interesting one, Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. And it means that the Lord is there. But before we get into Jehovah Shammah and what that means, we're going to be uh, continuing our scripture reading out of Ecclesiastes, and we come to chapter 9 here this morning. But before I read that, I, I do want to just ask you, what do you think about this series? Are you liking the, uh, the, the, the names of God? I know this is a little bit different, and like I said, it's going to be broken up. It's, I'm going to use it a little bit um, as in between uh, some series, because we finished our series on the Ten Lessons, and we had just about a week, and then we're going to be going into June, and in June, we're going to be going through the book of Psalms, through the book of Jude, uh, June, and uh, through the book of—or excuse me, <laughs> through the month of June. We're going to be going through the book of Psalms. There we go. I think I got that sorted out now. But uh, we're going to do it five chapters at a time, and like I said, I'm not necessarily going to read all five chapters here, although I will select scripture reading from those five chapters, uh, and then um, I will encourage you and challenge you to read five chapters a day of the book of Psalms for 30 days. They get you 150 chapters, and by the end of the month, you will have read through the book of Psalms. I mean, that is a pretty cool reading plan to get through the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is it's just one of my absolute favorite books because it is so worshipful. It also goes over uh, the, the whole gambit of everything that you could be going through, um, whether it's bad, whether it's good, uh, and anything in between. Uh, it seems like David and the other psalmists uh, really do go through all of that and share their feelings on it, but they feel it, or, or but they share it in such a way where their feelings ultimately are turned towards worship of God, no matter how many enemies are around them, no matter how many great victories that they're having, uh, David has a tendency to always turn the focus back to God. And so I'm really excited to go through the book of Psalms, but I do want to just kind of know, what do you think about this series on the names of God? I'll, I'll be honest, uh, so far, my favorite one has been Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. In fact, if you haven't listened to that one, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to it, uh, because I think it's just really important that you understand the character of God and that God wants to heal you. I mean, there is uh, entire, uh, you know, systems of theology that just really believes that God is the author of sickness and death, and he, he's the, the, the author of sin, ultimately. They wouldn't necessarily say that, but all of their logical implications would lead you to believe that. And it's, it's just a really big problem. And so I think it's good that we go and we look at God as to who he is and how he wants to reveal himself as our healer. And we see this also uh, today as we're going to be looking at the Lord uh, or Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, and, and seeing his promises. But we need to get into our scripture reading here uh, before I forget to do that, and that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And it says this, For I considered all that is in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works and uh, are in the hand of God, 
people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts and the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward." For the memory of them is forgotten, and their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go and eat bread with joy, and drink your wine with merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife of whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw that uh, under the sun that the race that is to the swift, nor to the battle, to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like a bird caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. The wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was uh, found in a poor man, poor wise man, and uh, he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than uh, the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You know, the, the verse that sticks out to me in this chapter is whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And of course, the idea is, is that we are all going to die someday. You only live one life, and we don't know the timing of our death. And so therefore, uh, don't, don't leave regrets. When you go out to go do something, go and do it with all of your might. And, and that is uh, a, some words of wisdom from Solomon. We really should be going and doing what we're doing with all of our might. But I want to look at this name of God, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And I want to remind us here, uh, this word Jehovah, it's translated as the existing one or Lord. And the chief meaning of Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew word Hava, meaning to be or to exist. But it also suggests to become or specifically to become known. 
and this denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. So Jehovah, there's really two ideas here to this translation that we would often translate Lord. And the first one is that he is the self-existent one. It's the idea that he has that preeminence over anything and everything. God is not in need of survival. He's not dependent on anyone. He is self-sufficient. He is self-sustaining. But the second idea is that this is also that he is an unceasing revealer, which I think is important to understand when it comes to understanding who God is, but also then when we attach one of these other words to it, whether it's Rapha, whether it's um, Jehovah uh, Sabaoth, or whether it's uh, Shama, as we're looking at uh, today. And Jehovah Shama is that the Lord is there. The Lord is there. In this word Shama, it's derived from the Hebrew word Sham, uh, which can be translated as there. And so Jehovah Shama uh, is really uh, going and pointing towards that idea that the Lord is nearby. The Lord is nearby. But Jehovah Shama is also uh, in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, it's, it's a symbolic name for the earthly uh, city Jerusalem. And the name indicates that God has not abandoned Jerusalem or leaving it in ruins, but there will be a restoration. And so this idea of Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, it's not just a promise that God is there. It's not just the idea of the presence of God, although, uh, I mean, that is pretty incredible as well, that God is imminent. He's not uh, far off from us. It's not just that he's transcendent above all, but he's also imminent and wants to dwell among us. In fact, when we go and we look at uh, how important that is and the incredible name Jehovah Shammah um, with the, the Jews and with the Stoics at the time, when the New Testament was being written, uh, the, the Jews and the Stoics, they, they often believed that God's primary attribute was apathy um, because it seemed like God was not there. It seemed like he didn't want to take part, but we have a God who wants to be active and wants to be involved in all of the affairs of our life. But also, this really points to a future promise. And so Jehovah Shammah is not just the sense that God is there, but it really points our direction toward God, towards God's promises. That's really what Jehovah Shammah is doing, is that it's saying no matter how destroyed, because at the point in time, um, you know, Israel would have been, and Judah would have been under captivity, Jerusalem would have been destroyed, it hadn't been rebuilt, all of this stuff. You know, we think about Nehemiah and how he goes and he hears that the walls are torn down, the city's on fire, everything's just terrible. And, and I mean, it caused him to go into tear his clothes, to pray, to fast, and then ultimately to act and to rebuild the walls. But we see this idea of Jehovah Shammah, it points uh, in a dark time, is what we're going to see in Ezekiel chapter 48, uh, a dark time, a time of destruction that God is going and saying, but I am there. There's a promise of restoration that is coming. And it points that no matter how deep and dark our times might be, it points us to remember that because God is here, there are promises that he made that are going to come through.
So let's read that passage in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, and it says this, All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits in the name of the city. From that day shall be Jehovah Shammah, or the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And it's talking about Jerusalem at this point in time. And like I said, it it really is looking at the promises of God of going in in the midst of this point in time when, when Ezekiel is prophesying this, that, that the city is is destroyed. It's in destruction. The uh, the temple's destroyed. It's, it's, it's not a good place to be. It's not any of this awesomeness uh, that we would hope for, and people would have been discouraged. And yet, there's this great promise of the, the coming Jerusalem, of the restoration of Jerusalem, that will be an emblem that says, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. But while we think about this idea of God's promises, I just I just want to look out at a couple of promises here, a few promises. There are hundreds of promises throughout Scripture. But I want to just point our attention to a few promises in Scripture, um, because when we go and we look at this, the Lord is there, and this means that no matter what our circumstances are around us, if we remember Jehovah Shammah, we call upon Jehovah Shammah, that the Lord is there, that we will see his promises, and that we can trust in his promises, that there will be a restoration that is coming. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, it says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and his uh, he delights in his way. Uh, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Isn't that an incredible promise? The steps of a good man if you are a good person who, in the sense of God, that you're following God's moral law, then your steps are ordered by God. If you are, are seeking to be upright, if you're seeking to be moral, if you're seeking to follow God, then God is going to order your steps and he's going to delight in your way. And if you fall, well, you're not going to be utterly cast down. If you're in the midst of a difficult time, but you are diligently seeking God and to uphold his moral law, guess what? God is going to catch you with his hand. Isn't that an incredible promise? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, it says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls you will find rest for your souls. Isn't this incredible here? You, you know, a lot of times people take this, this verse and they just focus in on that idea of rest and they, uh, they, they go and they have that mean whatever they want it to mean, but they forget that Jesus is also having an invitation to work because he's saying, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And what does a yoke do? Well, it, it keeps the, the, work, the workhorse or the, the ox or whatever it might be, the animal, they're in line. It keeps him working. It attaches him to something else. What will, let me just talk about those two aspects here for what Jesus' yoke are. One, keeping you in line, that's his moral law. You, you know, a lot of times people go and they don't like Christianity because they like to go and say, oh, it's about all these rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this and that other thing. Well, the reality of it is, is that God's moral laws, the true rules that he sets forth in his word, they're like uh, guide rails. They're like guide rails. Let me tell you, you know, um, do not commit adultery. 
it is not because God isn't wanting you to have a fulfilled life, but it's because that idea of sexual immorality, though the world has um, has has made it an incredible, uh, enticing kind of a thing. The reality of it is, it is that a sexually transmitted disease and a bunch of regret is actually not all that fun. That's what the survey says. But that's exactly what people are getting. And you see all kinds of, uh, of despair that's in their life. You see all kinds of broken people. You see all kinds of depression. And if you go and you look up the statistics on sexual, sexually transmitted diseases, you'll see that that is an incredible epidemic. Talk about a pandemic throughout the United States. That's where it is. That's what it is. And yet, how could all of this be avoided or a vast majority of it be avoided? Do not commit adultery. Do not commit fornication. It could simply be avoided in obeying God's laws. Every single one of God's moral laws, we see that it is a guide rail to keep us on a path that is safe and actually leading us to a much more fulfilling and better life. And so that's the first part of the yoke. The second one is, is that it attaches us to someone else. What does that mean? It means that God's yoke, Jesus's yoke, that's going to give us rest, means that we need to be in covenant with people, the people of God specifically, other people who've taken on Jesus's yoke. And that means a church. That means a church. If you want to have rest, if you want Jesus to give you rest, then you need to put on his yoke, walk in his laws, and attach yourself to a local church. Otherwise, you're not going to have a restful life. I can promise you that. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for the sake, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, whatever God calls you to do and whatever attack that the devil might bring in your life, I want you to understand something. If you are seeking God's will, if you're walking in God's will, then his grace is sufficient for you. His grace will give you the enabling power to overcome sin in your life. Isn't that an incredible thing? God's grace is sufficient, and you need to be empowered by that grace. How about Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31? But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, whenever I hear that verse, I always think of, remember the Titans and Rev going and saying that, you know, well, they're, they're in the gym and the teams kind of comes together and he starts kind of preaching on this. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I would go and, and try to... to to, to mimic that, but it's been pointed out to me numerous times that I have the most white sounding voice of all time. And so it just wouldn't do it justice uh, because I, as much as I would like to, I, I cannot sound like a, a black preacher. Um, but the promise of God that we see here is that God will renew your strength if you will but wait upon him. 
You know, one of the greatest disciplines that has been lost today in Christianity today is the ability to wait on God. You know, in the upper room, when the day of Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, what were the believers doing? They were waiting on God. They were waiting on the Lord. Do you know how many times that Christians get themselves in trouble or they, they, they lose out on the empowering grace or they, they don't get lifted up as, as high as what they ought to be lifted up and their ministry becomes not as effective as it ought to become. Why? Because they don't wait on God. You know, as Jackie Thayer used to say, a lady in the church that I grew up in, uh, she always used to say, you know, wait can become a weight if you don't give it to God. Whatever burden you're going through, whatever uh, thing that it seems like you're pressing for in your life, you need to give it to God. You need to start waiting upon God because He will renew your strength. He will mount you up with wings like eagles. You will run and you will not be weary. You will walk and you will not faint. But we must say, teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. All of these promises, and I didn't even touch on a quarter of the promises that I was intending to get through here this morning, but I want you to realize this. The name Jehovah Shammah, it means something. It means that God is here. And no matter what you're going through, because God is here, we can trust his promises are true. And we can look to those promises, no matter if the city is destroyed, or if your heart is crushed, or if your spirit is broken. God is here. And because of that, we can look at his promises and we can trust in his promises today. Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may be able to observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. Oh, but even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. So that war you've been fighting will end in God's timing. Sing like the battle's been won. Then you feel it, the song that is rising. is all